the next category is hinges. People get that mixed up with back tension because it's supposed to be part of the form, but that's a lot more detail in it. It works off of a hinge and half moon dump rotation system. Works off angle of rotation. Uh, long story short, it's got a, a steel circle cut in half, and then the jaw has a hinge. The hinge has a jaw in it that rides along the edge of the half moon through rotation. And then once it meets the edge of the half moon that's cut off, it lets go, and that's what actually fires the blow. Well, hello, welcome to the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Alan Bolin, and I'm joined today with Evan Williams from Hoyt, and our guest is Forrest Carter with Carter Releases. Carter Enterprises is the official name of the company, right? Officially, Carter Enterprises. Yeah, yeah but Carter, Carter, everybody Enterprise. knows Carter for their, their archery releases, which I personally have used for many years and have, have had many phone conversations with Forrest about, about the releases, so this will be a fun conversation today. Absolutely. Uh, Forrest, uh, so... Tell, just tell the, the listeners where you live and, and um, where your business is based, where your products are made, that, that sort of thing. You bet. We are based out of St. Anthony, Idaho, which is about 90 minutes straight south of West Yellowstone uh, on I-20. We, Carter has been in the same city since its inception. Um, Carter's running now on, I think, since about 80... About 89, I think, is when dad wow. took his first suitcase to Vegas with releases and sold them all within an hour. Is that uh, right? Yeah. Nice. Yep. So we, we've stayed local. Um, all of our, uh, what we don't manufacture at the shop, all of the rest is we've got a, parent, a sister company in California that we do a lot of our high volume stuff, high volume stainless and manufacturing. Okay. That way we can focus on, uh, on R&D here and that kind of thing. And everything, yeah, American made. Shipped out of St. Anthony, Idaho, a tiny little farming town of 3,000. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, I used to fish the Snake River up there when I went to college in Idaho. So, yeah, that's, it's a be- beautiful country up there. Oh, yeah. We've got, uh, we've got, Dad's got 101 acres here in the South Fork of the Henry's. Yeah. Right, it's right there. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> oh, you're spoiled, man. That's great. So, so since 1989, you guys have been manufacturing in-house uh, American-made archery releases. Yes, that's, sir. That's pretty awesome. The um, only thing we're not sure about is like the pins and dowel pins and springs, which are purchased from uh, U.S. vendors. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, like a spring, that sort of thing. That we, a component. Yeah, that makes sense. That certainly makes sense. Everything else, all the all the base materials are in, and uh, aluminum and steel are are right here from the good old United States. Well, that's awesome. Very so cool. cool. Yeah, it's a very high quality product. Um, I've been I've been shooting a, a variety of Carter releases for for many years, many different versions, and I love the flexibility and the uh, trigger pull weights and, and things like that, that I just, I haven't been able to find. I'm sure it, there's options out there, but I've really found you guys have a lot of flexibility in that stuff. Yep. So I'm curious, what, what release do you hunt with, Forrest? Well, it depends what bow I'm shooting, which is since obviously this is the Hoyt Bow Hunting Podcast. Um, anything with, quote, a normal type cam, such as, you know, the RX-7, the RX-7 Ultra, Anything like that, I tend to prefer a handheld where that's just been my go-to since mm-hmm. I started my shooting when I was 12. A handheld, uh, like thumb trigger? A handheld thumb trigger, correct. Okay, gotcha. Something like like a turbo or the new twin turbo, I really prefer a uh, wrist strap mm-hmm. just for the sake of control with the, you know, with the little slightly more aggressive valley. Oh, the, th- the mm-hmm. narrow valley, sometimes you get jerked forward. Gotcha. Yep. So you I feel like you hold harder that. against the wall with the wrist strap? Not necessarily. It's just a little more actual control in the draw than you get to oh. actually actually in the valley. Once you get to the valley of it, really, I mean, there's while the twin turbos have a little more aggressive draw cycle, once you get to that valley, it's it's butter. So okay. it's more for the draw cycle than it is for the holding against the wall. Okay. okay. So you just feel it's easier to pull through a, a steep draw cycle. Little bit, yep. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Little, little, little more similar to uh, using straps on a on a heavy deadlift or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent, Evan. 
Would you have you found that to be true at all? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And and my first Carter back in what two thousand, I think it was nine two thousand eight was the Carter Quickie for that reason. Um, hook style with a strap. Um, and Forrest and I have had a lot of conversations about that and using for myself the Scott buckle because of the size of my wrist and putting that buckle out of the way, like being able to control through a more aggressive draw cycle and then having Forrest work with me on how to actually properly execute with that. So I broke some pretty bad punching habits using a heavier trigger spring like you had mentioned the interchangeability of them yeah i i actually use the heaviest spring that carter offers you have to special order it. it's a 135 pound spring mm-hmm. it's a beautiful thing <laughs> mm-hmm. it sounds like more than it is it creates i've measured the trigger at about six and a half pounds i think it was yep that's pretty close yeah so it, it's not a 135 pound trigger it's a 135 pound spring but um yeah. So we could talk about that release method at some point, but you know, one thing it would be cool to start with for us is to break down the different categories of releases. I, I think there's basically four, so, some people would call it three. I call it four categories of releases. Could we go through each one so that everybody knows what we're referring to when we talk about this? Actually, I, I would consider it four and a half. <laughs> okay. We've, I've broken it down. So just, just a real quick synopsis on our website too, on the accessories page, there's a link to an actual book that I wrote about Carter and all the releases and everything. Oh, uh, and just, just to put that out there. So in that book, I've broken it down to all the basic categories. And first off, the one that people are the most familiar with is obviously the index finger wrist strap style. Uh, most people really gravitate towards that one first in their progression of archery, simply because a lot of people coming into archery are familiar with firearms to a point until they understand the index finger trigger, pull the trigger, and that kind of thing. So that's usually where most people go first. It's how we transfer our uh, punching habits from firearms to archery. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah, that's that's quite common also. Yeah. But then after that, the next popular wise in popularity is the, the handheld thumb triggers. They're a trigger just the same, but you're holding it with your entire hand instead of uh, using any kind of a strap for drawing assistance or anything. And those, between the two, there's there's slightly different anchor points, which we can get into the details later. But after that, uh, and like you say, breaking out of some punching habits, a lot of people then start going to what a lot of people call a back tension release, which I hate the term back tension because it's a form. Mm-hmm not a style of release mm-hmm. the, the release itself works on and what most people call the next the next category is hinges people get that mixed up with back tension because it's supposed to be part of the form but that's a lot more detail in it it works off of the hinge and half moon dump rotation system works off of angle of rotation mm-hmm. then after geometry that, it, it's yeah. it's executed with geometry as as the angle of the wrist changes right the release will go off uh, long story short, it's got a, uh, a, a steel circle cut in half, and then the jaw has a hinge. The hinge has a jaw in it that rides along the edge of the half moon through rotation. And then once it meets the edge of the half moon that's cut off, it lets go, and that's mm-hmm. what actually fires the blow. Gotcha. So it's it's, it's all it, 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 with a hinge thing. It's all angle of rotation. Mm-hmm. Okay. And all hinges work the same way. It's all that rotation style, rotation angle. Does yeah, a pivot point in the design of the moon and the hinge. Mm-hmm. Um, then after that, the final one is the resistance activated, which these are what people refer to as the pull through style. Uh, you have a safety, you hook on, you draw back an anchor, holding the safety, get back an anchor, let off the safety, and then it's set for heavier than your holding weight. Once you reach your draw, let off the safety, you continue to pull into your back wall until you reach what the weight the release is is set at. That's what fires the release. Yep. So so as an example, then to be clear for the listeners, you would draw your bow and and you're probably going to hit a peak weight, say of 70 pounds while you're drawing for a moment. And then you get into your valley and you might be holding 17 pounds. And so then you hit an activator on the release that then when that release hits 18 pounds, let's say it's going to go off. So as you pull against the wall 
in addition to the 17 pounds you're holding, it will go off, which is pretty cool. That's base concept. Yep. Yeah. So what are, what are the pros and cons of each of these? Like, you know, maybe, you know, it related to hunting and target archery, you know, maybe we could talk about each style quickly and, Mm -hmm. and talk about how each one of them sets up. What are the advantages for hunting and what are the advantages for targeted archery? And if there are any disadvantages to particular style. There absolutely are. Some obviously lend themselves to uh, other applications better than others. Um, Right off the bat, starting with the index fingers, that's obviously the one that people are going to be the most familiar with, uh, the most comfortable with, and really the one that most people are introduced to. Uh, For a hunting application, they are are the pros of it. Uh, it's right there on your wrist. Everything's there ready to go. Um, if you're doing a bunch of like ambush style, it's all, it's already right there on your wrist. But if you're having to do some running gun, like elk calling or, or running gun on a turkey hunting, everything's still right there on your wrist. And they lend, they do lend themselves, especially like the quickie that you shoot, uh, mm-hmm. really can lend itself to a very fast setup, hook on and, yeah. and ready to go. Um, Whereas like some of the other handheld thumb triggers and the other ones, it re- would require some hookup in, in a running gun situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, the quickie actually was first designed by dad and Randy Ulmer when Randy was doing the uh, ESPN games. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and some of those, some of those shots were, were requiring a very fast hookup uh, on a timed, on a timer type thing and yeah. getting them, getting the shots off as fast as you can. That's where the quickie kind of came around, especially so now with the index finger straps with the exposed hook like that, those really lend themselves to really virtually any hunting situation, best of both worlds for ambush or, or spot right. and stock. And right, right. Gun. So that brings us to the handhelds. The so handhelds, are, are there any disadvantages to the, to the wrist strap? Not many. One of the only few I could really think of is like in a, in a stand climbing situation. Sometimes they'll, They'll knock against the stand if you don't have a, a way to like stuff them down inside the strap or mm-hmm. hold on to it, which, you know, as you're climbing a stand anyway, you're going to make some noise regardless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's really, I mean, it's not a huge disadvantage, but there's really not too many of them. I would that's say like, for me personally, a disadvantage would be that a lot of people set them up as a hair trigger and a lot mm-hmm. of companies, that's the way that really the only setting they have. Yeah, and, because and they're the tendencies. Shooting, yeah. And you're shooting with your index finger. Most people I actually shoot with my middle finger for a variety of reasons. One is it's not, it doesn't have the dexterity of my index finger. So it's less punchy Two, I haven't, don't have a lifetime of pulling triggers with it. And three, I find that my index finger, when it's not being used, makes an incredibly awesome anchor point, the flat of my index finger against the flat of my jawbone. And it's yes. like the perfect anchor and it's out of the way. And then I, and I wrap my middle finger completely around the trigger and execute with back tension. But most people aren't shooting an index finger that way. And they're shooting it in a way that would exaggerate their punching habits. Mm-hmm. They, they have Correct. a hair trigger and they're, they're using their index finger and they're used to shooting guns. And there's just something different about resting a gun on a boulder or in prone position with a bipod or whatever and, and executing that shot with your index finger compared to drawing a bow and holding it with all of your muscles and then having your finger execute a smooth punch. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I mean, it can be done, but when your nerves get involved in the moment of truth, we call it, right? And, yeah. and you're holding that bow with your muscles and you start shaking and then all of a sudden you have to get that finger to react in the right way. That's when bad things happen, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think personally, I think that's a disadvantage, even though I shoot an index figure exclusively, but I've worked around that disadvantage. What are your thoughts on that guys? Well, since you brought that up, then that's going to be, you know, advantage, disadvantage part of it. Yes. That is a very common, uh, like I said, progression that people do, they get the trigger. A lot of them like it, you know, scary light as they can. That brings us to why I hate the back tension form or mythos. The back tension form, the purpose of, of back tension is an unanticipated shot, period. There's lots of different ways that that, that that mechanically happens. But as long as it happens, that's irrelevant. With, like you say, with an index finger, it's extremely possible to shoot a, an unanticipated shot 
or back tension form, if you want to call it that, with an index finger, provided two criteria are met. And the first criteria is it's got to be heavy enough. The trigger has to physically be heavy enough, like with your 135-pound spring, that you can get your finger completely wrapped around that trigger and lock in and not have any conscious movement in it so that when you pull, when you just start pulling through or, quote, using your back to pull through type shot, your finger pulls into that trigger by itself without you consciously doing it. Mm -hmm. So if your trigger's heavy enough, that you can get in, wrap around, lock in, and not be tentative about it, as opposed to like with a hair trigger when, yes, you you're, you're tentative, you're, you're scary, yeah. you're, you're worried about it happening. If it's heavy enough, you can get around it, and there's no felt movement in the trigger. You can execute that same unanticipated shot like you can with any release. Yeah. So disadvantages, improper education and knowledge, I think, would be the disadvantage of that. Because if you're, if you're instructed properly on how this all works from day one, your chances of going through what 98% of the archers go through with punching and, and other mm -hmm. maladies of target panic are greatly lessened. Mm -hmm. So yes, disadvantage without proper education, I would say. Well, yeah. and I loved how you specifically said wrapping your finger around the trigger. That's yep. one of the biggest hindrances in my opinion coming from a pro shop and working with a lot of archers is i saw a ton of people purchasing a index style release that has a barrel on it and in my opinion the problem with a barrel is you only have a set amount of adjustment points and a lot of them aren't tight enough in the wrist strap and so when they get super loose, that barrel extends so far out that they can barely get the fingertip to contact whatever trigger mechanism, whether that's, you know, um, a curved trigger shoe yep. or a round barrel that you're actually forcing your index finger to push vertically down on your trigger mechanism versus hooking that finger around that trigger shoe and constant tension increasing that load straight back into your back shoulder and when we talk about wrapping around so the listeners know we're talking about the second knuckle when you start at the fingertip mm -hmm. you have the first little knuckle and then that second knuckle that's the one you wrap around the trigger when we talk about that yep i like i like to describe it as if you are hanging off a cliff to save your life by one finger that how you're going to be hanging off there, you're going to want your entire finger wrapped around that little trigger in order to keep you from falling. That's yep. the exact same position you want to be at in full draw. If you're the tip of your fingers on it, or, you know, the first knuckle for a lot of people could be acceptable, but really the less moving parts you have, the more repeatable your shot execution is going to be. Mm -hmm. So if you're just out on the tip of your finger, you consciously have to do something in order to make your finger move. Whereas if well you're said. completely, completely circled around it in a perfect C shape, I guess I could say, all the parts are locked in. There's, you're not consciously doing anything because there's really nowhere for your finger to go. But you, you're constant pulling against that trigger, just pulling back. Another way that the military uses in their, in their long range shooting is in their drills is to take your rifle butt, your rifle grip, wrap your hand around the grip get all the felt movement out of the trigger. And then instead of squeezing your finger, you're squeezing your entire hand. Mm -hmm. Your index finger by itself is going to contract automatically without you consciously thinking about what your finger's doing. Hooking in and pulling through the shot like that, like we're talking about is the same concept. Yeah. Nice. Pressure, That's a good analogy. The pressure gets on your finger and pulls and continues to increase pressure without your mind consciously using any muscle to pull on it. Well, the bigger the muscle you're using, the harder it is to punch it. Mm -hmm. Yep. You know, that's why the whole back tension idea is if you really are pulling with your back, you can't punch your back muscles. They're just too big to operate that way, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. We'll well, you can. <laughs> when, when, we talk, when we talk about hinges, we'll get into more of that because I've, I've had some experience there too. So uh, one, so, one okay. image, I was going to run this by you, Forrest. When I shoot my best... I actually feel like my finger is holding the bow back. Have you ever heard that before? Like yeah. when I'm wrapped around there, I can actually envision in my mind that my wrist strap isn't even there 
and my finger wrapped around the trigger is holding back the bow. And as I increase the tension on that, it becomes like the, um, the resistance type release. As I increase the tension against the back wall, because my finger is actually holding the bow back in my mind, it goes off. And that's when I do my best shooting when that image exists in my mind. And it's not always there, but when I can find that, I shoot lights out. Have you heard that before? Uh, it's the same concept. Yeah. Like, cause you're, I mean, you're not really consciously figuring out what's happening. You can feel the weight against your index finger, but as you completely and slowly increase that pressure, you don't feel anything moving until it's just the shot breaks and breaks yeah. on glass. Cause that's the, unantic- that's the unanticipated shot we're talking about. All of your skills, whether it's golfing, free throws, pitching, basketball, driving a car, all of your subconscious skill comes from, or all of your skill that way comes from your subconscious mind. When you're golfing, all you're thinking, you're not thinking about where you're going to guide the ball to. You're staring straight down at the ball. That's your focus. The rest of it comes subconsciously. Free throw, same thing. You're staring at the backboard. You're aiming. The shot process is subconscious. Archery, the same way. You're looking at your pin on your target that you want to hit, and that's it. Anything else that you're thinking about, if, you're fo- if your focus goes from what you're aiming at back to what your hand is doing to, uh, to activate the release, your shot execution is interrupted. Now we're deep in Lanny Basham, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Big time. Yeah, for sure. With, with winning stuff. in mind. Yeah, great book for the listeners with, it, with me, winning in mind. Yep, I have a signed copy myself. Nice. So I will say just, just so the listeners know, like the 95 pound spring that comes with the quickie is also plenty of weight. Mm -hmm. Um, I've used both the 95 and the 135, and you can fully wrap your finger around without any worries of it going off and pull against it. Uh, and while I'm thinking about it, the final thing on that, while we're talking about advantage, disadvantage, uh, the disadvantage on an index finger, even if you have everything set, and this is particularly going to be interesting to you, Alan, is that your anchor point. Now, with an index finger, most yeah. people are going to use a reference of up underneath their ear or you know, some other shooters use like the thumb on the back of their neck. Mm. As well, a Hard reference pass. point. Hard pass. Oh, wait. <laughs> <laughs> a reference point is better than no reference point, but the more... The more reference points you have for your anchor point, the more consistent and repeatable you're going to be. So with an index finger, most people going right up underneath their ear, you've got multiplying that with your peep sight and your string, your nose on the end of the string, you know, that's three reference points. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's not the optimum because where where your anchor point with your release hand is only one spot, there's, there's an increased chance of variance. Or if you're just going off the back of your neck, you're, the release basically is just floating and has no set reference point. Mm-hmm. Your thumb is the reference point, but mm-hmm. as far as like where, where your nose is and on the string and, and where the release in your hand is, there's not really any bone-on-bone reference point. Right. So your chance, your chance of variance increases. And of course, we want everything as repeatable as possible. Yep. So where this brings me, that's what would be the disadvantage between an inexperienced to a handheld. But the way you described uh, the way you anchor, Alan, with the, executing with your middle finger and then having your index finger on the other side, you're probably splitting your jawbone between your index finger knuckle and your middle finger knuckle. Mm-hmm. And that gives you, gives for an anchor point, that gives you a three-point bone-on-bone-on-bone reference mm-hmm. point. It's a beautiful anchor point. It really is. That, that is the most repeatable solid anchor point that there's possible. Yeah. So you multiply. And as you get further point, out and you move your sight, you can simply slide your knuckles down your jaw as you need to. At some you point can, you have to, if you're shooting at a hundred yards and you've slid your sight, right? Not necessarily. Your anchor point should still be the same. That should never change. It, it's not, I feel like it gets less tight against the top of like behind my ear. It would, it would probably more be the difference of, of trying to see through your peeps or your sight at that range yeah. than actually the, the changing your anchor point. For example, uh, obviously I've competed a lot. There's a target at Reading that's the Bigfoot. He's 101 yards. Mm-hmm. And my anchor point on that never changes. Mm-hmm. And it's really just, but of course you're dealing with the, the difference between target site equipment and hunting site equipment. 
yeah slight slight variation with tar- with target side equipment it's a little easier to maintain your same anchor point but your slide on your on your range of length accommodates more than it probably would on a hunting setup gotcha okay so yeah your I'll, anchor I'll point even 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 at a longer distance should always stay the same the arrow doesn't care how far it's going mm-hmm. okay but the more, the more repeatable you are the more repeatable you're going to be even at the longer distance. If you're trying to move up or down on your jawbone where the anchor point is, you're varying. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, I don't like doing that. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pay more attention to that. Do a little, mm-hmm. little study yeah, on it. Your anchor, experimentation. The, the more, the more repeatable your anchor point is, the better. Yeah. Evan, do you have to move your anchor point at all on, on further yardages? Um, I actually don't, I actually increase the pressure on my nose. So I basically like bring, ah. bring my head down into the string. Um, so Dig when I run, yeah, when I run Redding, for example, run a single pin setup, um, or just a dot, um, I'm typically setting my sight aperture to be perfectly centered in my peep around that 55 ish range. Um, sometimes I do 53, sometimes it's 50, um, and then I can I can compensate from there where I decrease head pressure um, or pressure on my nose where I'm still contacting the string, but at shorter distances I slightly lift, and then longer distances I come down into it just a little bit. So nothing I think it's changes the opposite, isn't it, with Evan? the connection. It's the opposite. Sorry, when you sorry, get yeah. closer, yeah, you have it, to as dig I go into closer, I come down. Yeah. And yeah, when you sorry, get further away, your, your, your nose would become uh, lighter on the string. Yep. 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 Sorry. So, and then on my hunting setup, I'm typically running a three pin system. Mm-hmm. And so I run a 30, 40, 50, and then I will have that set closer in that reference at around 60 to 65. So mm, yeah, get so a, you're not get a little bit more out of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That's I'm always still an advocate. The more repeatable your anchor point, the more repeatable you're going to be. Absolutely. There's, there's two parts. There's two parts on your bow that you can screw up, and that's your grip and your release anchor point. <laughs> All the rest is is the bow. Those yeah. are the two human. Those are the two human parts that you can mess up. <laughs> right. Right. Well, that that I think that's a lot of information there on index finger. That's yep. really that's awesome discussion. Yep. What, so, which one would we discuss next? Next is, and where we're breaking into this, we just talked about the bone-on-bone-on-bone anchor point. That's an advantage that most handhelds will give you, is the way they're designed, the throat or neck of the release comes up in between your index finger, middle, and middle finger knuckles, and splits it automatically. And that gives you just a really splitting your jawbone again the same way, which is something I want to touch on this real fast too. Splitting your jawbone that same way, of course, gives you that repeatable anchor point. Now, if you're back further, say, you know, on the backside on the straight uh, 90 degree up part, chances are your draw length is probably a little on the long side. And that's something else that, you know, in your bow setup needs to be addressed more than your anchor. Could you repeat what you just said there when you're... So if you're like straight down from your ear where your jawbone angles 90 and goes straight up vertical. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If you're back on that part of your jawbone, I think that's like you say, where you can get some variance by moving it up and down your jawbone. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that usually is an indicator that your draw length is probably a hair, but too long. Or gotcha. Too long. Okay. Um, you're, when I say splitting your jawbone, it's generally in the middle in between your ear and your chin. Okay. Right where it's still angled. Is, yeah, where it's still angled, and that's much more, that's the more repeatable spot. And your draw length forces you into that same exact spot as far as back, how your draw length goes the same way every time. Mm-hmm. So between your draw length and splitting your jawbone between those three knuckles gives you that super repeatable anchor point. Gotcha. Um, the other advantage of a thumb trigger, which most people go in the progression of, you know, index finger, oh no, start flinching in that, start going some other ways. Generally, just switching to a thumb trigger will will tighten up people's groups, so to speak, right off the bat, because they're getting that more repeatable anchor point right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Then, of course, the the shot execution uh, that it promotes by wrapping your thumb around that trigger and using quote a different muscle group than your index finger to pull just again pulling into your trigger, your thumb tightens up on the trigger and fires. That promotes a much more repeatable shot execution 
as where most people, like as, as we've talked about, are prone to to activating with their index finger. And that's what starts getting people into problems with the target panic and the punching and the flinching mm-hmm. and all that, all the fun stuff that goes with it. So in the progression, index finger to thumb trigger, thumb trigger, more better anchor point, different shot execution promotion as opposed to punching. Mm-hmm. Of course, you can still time a, a thumb trigger and punch it better, you know, than an index finger if an animal is like a big old Kansas deer is walking through a lane and you need to get it off right then. Mm-hmm. Your chances of doing that more repeatedly with an index finger or a thumb trigger are about equal if you have to. Mm-hmm. I should say if you choose to, because mm-hmm. that's going to get into the thumb trigger. So that the anchor point and the better and the and the more back tension style promotion of the shot execution are the two advantages of the thumb trigger. Mm-hmm. Uh, disadvantages is if you're in a running gun situation, elk calling or, or turkey, you know, turkey reaping, I guess they call it now. In hmm. uh, a setup where it's not an ambush setup, you have to hook up to your loop or a spot and stock, you know, crawling on the ground across big Nevada mules or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not, it, it's not really promoting to, or it's not really working that well to have it hooked up to your loop while you're crawling or while you're running around. Uh, so generally, you got to hook up when the animal's right there and closer. So that's one disadvantage. In an ambush situation, it's fine because ambush as in blind or tree stand, mm-hmm. because that way you can hook up, you know, latch it onto your loop, let it hang there, and be ready to draw when the opportunity prevents itself. Is there? Um, I don't shoot. I mean, I have shot, but I don't regularly shoot thumb buttons. So, is there a difference, like shooting a heavier spring compared to a? a uh, hair trigger is it as big of a deal with the thumb it's it's the same concept you want your trigger heavy enough that you can get wrapped around it and not be tentative about the shot Mm. but of course you obviously don't want it so heavy that you're struggling to make it fire um both of them you know both of your triggers index finger and thumb are going to work off the same concept but it's really a personal preference it's you know some people are stronger than others some people need a super heavy trigger because their hands are just naturally monster hands you know evan comes to mind or it's really kind of a personal thing i prefer about two and a half three pounds yeah because that's just enough for me to get wrapped around it not be tentative and then execute by you know by pulling into the shot that's but for some people, especially people that have had a history of severe target panic, generally that's where the heavier, super heavy trigger comes in because they can not have to worry about that perfect range and just get wrapped around it and execute. So do you promote, because you had mentioned on the index, basically like shaking a hand um, in reference to how the military teaches where you are activating your hand together and your index then naturally closes as it squeezes like you're shaking someone's hand you do you, you promote could. that same thing where you wrap that thumb and you act like you are shaking someone's hand where it just applies a little bit of pressure and collapses the hand around that mechanism no and this is why um that you'll start getting into when i talk about the consistency of anchor point um if you have your release in your fist like that, you're going to find you're going to have more variance. And the more you close your fist, the more that angle changes mm-hmm. uh, for a, for a, um, and this is a hinge resistance or a thumb trigger, anything handheld, you basically want the flat back of your palm perfectly level with your wrist. If you do that in the fist, you'll notice your fist rises and you're no longer sitting flat. You're now yeah. kind of mm-hmm. trying. Interesting. So with your hand, the main anchor point is your jawbone is splitting those knuckles. If you squeeze your hand and try to close it like a fist, like you would you know, on a rifle, butt, your hand angle changes, your hand and wrist angle changes. Good point. So if you're, when your wrist is flat like that, that's a much more repeatable anchor point and, and when, with a handheld, because if your arm's flat, all you're doing is pulling. And again, you're not consciously thinking about what your hand's doing when you're trying to make that fist. Mm-hmm. Right. Where in a wrist strap, you can you know, tighten your fist if right. you're wrapped and, and yep. it's not changing anything because it's attached to your wrist. You're not changing a hand angle. Correct. Very interesting. <laughs> One thing I really enjoy, I, and I actually, I, I'll put this in the category of advantages on the wrist strap, but it sounds like it's there with the thumb button too, is that I can choose to shoot back tension or I can make it go off. Yep. 
because in, in certain situations, like in high winds, for example, I find I need to make it go off because when my pin is very like is moving back and forth across the target, I actually have to time it in high wind or if some and if animals moving through a narrow gap, those kind of situations where if I were shooting a hinge, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't feel like yeah. I could be as effective. Uh, a great example of that is, uh, is the, um, is the fetus shooting at the U.S. US archery or rural archery like the Arizona Cup, for example. Mm-hmm. Uh, Arizona Cup is a wonderful example because, yeah, the wind blows there constantly. Yeah. You get in a windy situation like that, most of your top shooters have some sort of trigger that they're hiding just for that purpose. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's only been really one shooter I can think of off the top of my head that's mastered uh actually well levi's pretty good but the one that i think is mastered hinge shooting the best that i've ever seen is probably roger willett and rogers rogers won actually the uh the arizona cup a couple times i think due to that he's mm-hmm. shooting shooting an unanticipated shot in a wind or again like you know you got a, a huge deer coming in at 20 yards and you need to stop it in that lane yeah say thumb trigger or index finger you're going to get more forgiveness in your result than you are with say a hinge or resistance activated. So we can put as an advantage in those two is that you can shoot on demand when needed Mm -hmm. more, more repeatedly. Yes. Yes. Here's, here's the catch 22. Yes, you can a little better because with a hinge or resistance activated timing a shot like that, they're not designed for that. Mm -hmm. If you try to time a shot like that, your results of where you're going to hit are going to be disastrous. (laughs) <laughs> don't want to try and time a shot with the release. It's not designed to time a shot. <laughs> right. yeah. So that's, that's where the index finger and thumb trigger come in, but shooting a repeated amount of those type of shots is what gets most people in the target panic punching. True. Drill. Yeah. You're flirting so, with yeah. something dangerous, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes, you can. Do I recommend it with anything? No, but yes, there's been times on a huge bull or, or certain animals I've shot yes that I've had to do it, but I don't recommend it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I find myself when I shoot in the wind, which I do on purpose occasionally, I just naturally start doing it. And it's, it's interesting how, like, I've just, I don't know, I've shot enough where I can switch back and forth between the two without having to think about it. I just know in this situation, Hey, I got to tighten my fist here instead of yep. pulling through, you know? Now there's a difference between, you know, command shooting, timing it now, as opposed to a increased, what's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? An increased, uh, increased aggressive shot execution. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not punching it, but you are increasing the pressure in your execution a little more aggressively. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, that can still give you the unanticipated shot, but it does, it drastically shortens your execution window. Right. And right. and that's one thing that I find in my shot, especially with my button, is that when the wind's blowing, like I get so much more aggressive both in my front arm, how I'm pushing towards the target, as well as my back arm and how I'm I'm trying to pull that bow apart. And naturally that increases the load on my thumb and my shots are breaking quicker mm. because of the increased tension I'm building, trying to essentially slow down the movement of my pin in those conditions. That's a good trade-off. Yeah. Yep. So the advantages, disadvantages, that pretty much is going to cover the index finger and thumb trigger that I can think off the top of my head, unless you guys have any other thoughts. Sounds very good. Make sure you touch the thumb barrel before you shoot your shot. Yes. Make sure there's no gap between your thumb and the barrel. There we go. Yep. Again, again, the locked in, everything locked in, the more repeatable it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Which brings us to, so, you know, we'll use the progression that I see a lot of the time. Uh, index finger, thumb trigger. Now I've got issues with target panic and punching that need addressed. And that's generally where the average archer or the average bow hunter comes into being introduced to a hinge or to a resistance activated. And a hinge is, again, it's a handheld release. It runs off of a, of a hinge and half moon on a pivot point dump system. And what that does is it takes the trigger out of the equation because you no longer have a trigger to shoot with. And you have to use unconsciously again, some other sort of mechanic for that release to fire. 
with a hinge, it's a degree of rotation. Yes, in theory, you could just turn your hand real fast and fire it, but again, your results are not going to be mm -hmm. as consistent as they are just getting back. And this is where the back tension part comes in because a lot of people, you know, use the mentality of you're flexing your rhomboids or using a different muscle group to fire the release. The concept of it is close to accurate, but mechanically that's nowhere near what's actually happening. Oh, really? While you're, mm -hmm. while you're back at full draw, for starters, your rhomboids are already flexed. Mm -hmm. Flexing them again does nothing <laughs> to what is happening with your hand release. Yeah. Might cramp your back up. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you're, already, you're already flexed with you know, how, your, how muscles work. Your rhomboids are already flexed while your nose at full draw. Flexing them again does not do, again, anything for what your hand is mechanically actually doing to that release. So the, the concept, again, of just pulling into the shot with, with the trigger is pretty well explained, I think. With a hinge, you can pull as hard as you want, but if your hand is super tight, grabbing that hinge and, and locked around it, and I'm not, not allowing that hinge, the handle to rotate, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. You can pull all day, and if that handle doesn't rotate, it's not going to fire. Mm -hmm. So there, there has to be an acceptable amount of movement in that hand. So, uh -huh. so one of the things, and I sat in on a seminar, and it was probably back in 2013 at the ATA show, and it was Chance Bobeff, Levi Morgan, um, Darren Christianberry, Eric Griggs, like they were talking about the execution of a hinge release. And I love how you have six of the best pros with a hinge release at the time. And every single one of them had just a little different variation in how they physically executed that. Um, Braden Galantine is probably one of the best in the world when it comes to like physically hitting his position and manipulating that release using his, full hand so he shoots a four finger hinge so that he can squeeze that release down slowly and activate it all in his hand so it's all where, happening at the hand level for it's him. all happening yep. at the hand whereas um what i liked and and what stuck with me more is i believe it was eric griggs where he gets in he gets locked into his back <laughs> his rhomboids are super tight <clears throat> Excuse me. And what he's doing is he's focusing on physically relaxing his forearm muscles. And that, if you can imagine your, your back of your hand facing you so that you're looking with your pinky facing the ceiling, your thumb is down. As you relax your hand and it starts to open up, your pinky actually pulls towards your wrist and your index and your ring finger ex or your middle finger extend and that creates an amount of rotation that mm. then allows that hinge to slip off the moon mm -hmm. interesting yes, exactly uh, another method that people have talked about that using with a hinge like that is relaxing your getting back getting locked in on anchor and then relaxing your index finger Gotcha. relaxing your index finger allows the handle to rotate in your hand mm -hmm. uh i've got to shoot with chance boba for a lot and especially on like reading for example i've done a couple times of reading with him through the whole tournament and really got to study his shot execution his setup when you when he draws back and this is this gets into with a hinge to what's important when he draws and gets back obviously and here's a disadvantage when they're drawing with a hinge you have to have all the weight drawing on your index finger and thumb, not on the rest of your hand to draw safely. Mm -hmm. That keeps the head of the release at a safe angle that you can get back in anchor. Once you get back in anchor, then you can adjust your weight and your, your, uh, onto your other fingers and, and decrease the amount of rotation. This is how chance sets up. He draws with all his weight on its index finger and thumb, draws back, gets back in anchor, and then you can physically see him right then in his setup relaxes index finger at the angle of the release changes probably about 45 degrees that from that did you point say 45 about 45, 45 degrees. degrees wow, wow. And, and then when he lets off the, and then he's locked in his hand is does he shoot with a click uh depending on when he, whether he's outside or inside inside he does not outside depending on if it's a lot of up and downhill Mm, severe angle yeah. stuff he will but not all the time can yeah, you quickly so. complain uh, explain the click yeah. option yep. for the listener 
yeah, which is what this comes into with setting on a hinge. So the clicker is a portion of that circular half moon that's been cut 10,000 steep or so. And what that does is it allows the, the jaw to ride along the edge of that. And once it falls down into that ledge that's been cut, it creates a click noise. That click noise is a warning that you've got less 10,000 or less, whatever it's cut for, before the release fires. Mm -hmm. So if you're drawing back and you hear that click before you're anchored, then it's dangerous. Then it could, then it could possibly. You are ready to go. Yeah. Mm. Then, it, then it could possibly misfire. So that's what the purpose of the clicker is. It designates a warning before the release is going to fire. When you're dealing with a, a newbie that's not used to this, I generally recommend clickers to start with, because that way you'll at least have a reference to know when your release is going to fire for safety purposes. Yeah. No, no trips to the dental office. It seems to yeah, me like yeah. that it, there's some significant advantages though when you're aiming, and yes. because then you know you can get more serious about your aiming when you hear the click. Yep. Well, and that so like what we talked about with Chance and with Levi, and then so once they get back and where they're actually anchoring and settling in, all of these people shot executions rely on how the release is set from that point from when mm -hmm. you're anchored. Some like a lot of rotation. Some don't like any rotation at all. So from there, it becomes just amount of getting that hinge and half moon speed set to where you are most comfortable with the fire. Mm -hmm. so, so, so by, by that, by, by speed, what you're referring to is when I hit my anchor point on my jawbone, from there getting to the click or, or how much I'm allowing that release to rotate before it's in that set position. Correct. Cause, cause I used to like more, but what I found is that actually put my hand in such a rotated position that I couldn't relax enough because I was already where my anatomically, I already wanted that release to go off because I was at my, my limit of what my body could do. So one thing that Levi likes to do is he draws and as soon as he touches that anchor, that release is set up, it clicks right then. Mm -hmm. And from there, it's just the execution. So he's not having to hit the anchor, rotate into it, and then start going. It's right. anchor there and ready so to let's talk about this, this release, this style of release for hunting. Pros and cons. Well, pros is it takes the trigger out of the equation and mm -hmm. the purpose of it is, is to well it, to, it the purpose of the release is to force an unanticipated shot by mm -hmm. not having a trigger mm -hmm. the disadvantage is one of two things you're either going to be passing on shots because it's going to limit your shot selection mm -hmm. you obviously don't want to be shooting in anything moving because trying to stop it or trying to shoot while it's moving unless you're an expert at shooting at moving targets then uh, it's mm -hmm. not recommended. And then if you do try to actually force it off and get it off, you know, by punching or by over quickly rotating your results of where that arrow is going to impact are not going to be the same. Right. Right. Is what you, is what you've done and drilled and practiced. If you head. attempt try, to shoot on demand with this, it's not going to be pretty. It's not <laughs> going to be pretty at all. And it's going to, you know, really be a detriment to all the work you just did to try to get that anticipated shot. I have, I have heard some guys though, that have had target panic or buck fever so bad that the trade-offs are worth it to them because they were shooting so poorly at animals mm -hmm. with these yeah. other style of releases that they said, you know what? It's better for me to deal with those disadvantages and make a good shot when things are perfect. Cause I wasn't even making good shots when things are perfect. Yep. Again, that's you're you're very correct. That's an extreme example of what target panic and that can do. Uh, and right off the top of my head, one of the shooters that use specifically, not even a hinge, just called a spike. It's just a fixed hook. Mm -hmm. It doesn't move, but it works off the same degree of mm -hmm. rotation that a hinge does. Uh, Dwight Shue. Yeah. Uh, just recently passed away, but he, uh, one of my heroes years ago. Yep. And he specifically shot a spike release for most of his career. Mm hmm in a hunting application. So yes, but you're also talking about a person that does this constantly, not your average weekend warrior that doesn't shoot daily and then mm -hmm. goes into the woods, you know, unprepared. 
yeah. with, a, with a with a rotation style or with a, with a rotation or resistance because resistance it's the exact same thing. Uh, it's not designed for it, but if you shoot it constantly, then yes, you, it, yeah. it can be very effective. Uh, off the top of my head, there uh, John Dudley from Knock On, his uh, son that's adopted now, Harry and Sharon, his wife Sharon, exclusively have pretty much as far to my knowledge, always shot a resistance activated for hunting and that's all they shoot. And of course yeah. that's all uh, yep. brought up on, but that's say, all yeah, from, that's- from the start. That's, that's how he introduced them to releases was the um, evolution. Yep. Mm-hmm. And so, so that that's, 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 you know, that's all then. they're used to. The, the, let's talk about the resistance style and just, yep. I mean, it's, it's a lot of, it's the same philosophy, but it's activated differently. Yes, and that's where so disadvantage is advantage from the resistance activated to hitch. Resistance activated, as we've talked about, works off of uh, a sear mechanism, which you're setting heavier than your holding weight of your bow. Mm-hmm. Not your peak weight, but your holding weight. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they usually all of them have some sort of safety that you either activate or disactivate when you get back to full draw. Um, the benefit of that is unlike a hinge, now you don't have to deal with angle of rotation and you can just deal with just pulling into your back wall straight back without manipulating your hand in any kind of rotation way. It does make for a little bit, you know, right off the bat learning a more repeatable, unanticipated style of shot, but it is more critical on other aspects of it, like how hard you pull into the wall when you're back at full draw when you let off that safety, if you're varying how hard you're holding into that wall and your setup, the release is going, even though the release is going to be going off the exact same poundage, it's going to manifest itself by not going off or going off. If you're pulling too hard into the wall, then you're used, then it's set for it'll go off as soon as you let off that safety. Mm-hmm. Or if you're not pulling hard enough, you'll have to execute harder than you normally do in order for it to fire. So what some people perceive as the release not being consistent, it really, it's designed to show you your form flaws or your variant, not flaws, but your variations of how you're executing. And the whole purpose really of the resistance activated is to force you to become a more, a more consistent shot in all aspects of your shot, the aim, the execution, and the setup. Interesting. And thus, that's the disadvantage is if you are not executing the exact same way the exact same poundage and everything that can manifest itself in different ways by appearing inconsistent or appearing. So it's, you know, it, the release doesn't go off exactly when you want it and everything, which again, when you're trying to time a shot, it's not, if you, with the resistance activated, it's horrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, a great example of that is the phenomenon when you've been sitting in a cold stand for 12 hours, you finally get that shot opportunity. And some people go to the point in the extreme of it where their muscles have tightened up and gotten so cold that they can't draw your bow. Right. And right. if you've got a resistance activated and you do get your bow back, there's no way of telling where you're settling. No, in the there's hole. no possible way to prepare mm-hmm. yourself so for that. That's, yeah. that's Just, a disadvantage yeah. in a hunting application, but that's not really what they're designed for. But again, yeah, if you got the person that goes through that kind of, of target panic and that's all they can shoot and that's all they can shoot. Okay. So if, if someone is, you know, pretty much exclusively, or let's say they're exclusively either an index style or thumb button release shooter, yep. would they benefit from occasionally shooting one of the other two types, one of the, you know, the, the, the hinge or the resistance Absolutely. and, and what should they shoot and, and what are the benefits? So as again, in the progression, a lot of people go through, you know, index finger, thumb trigger, target panic, hinge and resistance activated. So to get out of this target panic, and I've got much more information than we have time for here because it's about another two hour long conversation. <laughs> <laughs> the, the purpose of the, re- the main purpose of the hinge and the resistance activated is shot execution reprogramming. Just switching to that release and going through it does not really give you the cure, so to speak. It's the, the, the tool isn't near as important as the regimen and the regimen for any kind of programming, any execution, usually a minimum of about 90 days. Mm-hmm. So it's the regimen that's much more important, which I've got more information on that as well. But doing so, that's the reprogramming process. Once you've reprogrammed all the punching and glitching and target panic out of your glitch system, that's when 
you can shoot any of those releases, hinge, index finger, thumb trigger, or it's activated the exact same way with wow, the exact yeah. same form and execution. Using those again to like, like some people, you know, they use a hinges that's activated to practice in the off season and then use some sort of trigger in the hunting is very common. And yes, the do two, the two do work together. But if you have a problem with punching or glitching, I very much recommend the regimen first. Then once you get it reprogrammed, all you're, all you're doing with, with that concept of, you know, using them to reinforce the unanticipated shot and then going to a trigger is very common. They all work together to make you a more repeatable shot. Yeah. And, and which, which do you think would be an easier and more effective training tool, the hinge or the, or the resistance? It really depends on how deep ingrained and what you're trying to do. If you have no, and this is where like, uh, you know, a lot of the people coming in and just using the white scary index fingers and getting a problem, they're not aware of the level of repeatability that is capable with archery tackle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the, the, the release and the shot execution is the biggest part of that. And once they get accustomed to, you know, a lot of them don't even know what an unanticipated shot feels like or is about. I've never mm -hmm. shot one before. Mm -hmm. And if you're just flat reprogramming right off the bat, and also this is what I start my, uh, when I train a student, uh, brand new from day one, I don't even put them on a bow. I put them on a simulator, such as like a Saunders firing line or mm -hmm. a right release trainer for 30 days first and let them get their shot execution down with the resistance activated. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. So with the resistance activated, that's going to force you to first get to get consistent, but it forces you how that unanticipated shot's going to feel. Whereas with a hinge, you can fudge it a little by, you know, consciously rotating. Ah, uh, okay. So start them on that and then, or, you know, a target panic uh, person, you're going to really get them reprogrammed first. Resistance activated are a great start, but then, like I say, the resistance activated are a little more critical on how hard you pull into the wall where a hinge is not. Hinge doesn't matter how hard you're pulling into the wall, it just matters on your rotation of execution. So if you're going to go from that and then to like a competing or a scoring thing, either a hinge or a hinge with the safety, because they do make hinges with safeties also. Yeah, right. We do as well, ours is called the honey too, but mm -hmm. um, there's, there's an entire, um, you know, you, it's, you can execute and probably compete with a hinge better, which is why you see more people competing with a hinge than the resistance activated. Because mm -hmm. it's not as critical on your setup and execution as mm -hmm. a hinge. Okay. While it will force an unanticipated shot in pressure situations or like hunting situations like that, more forgiveness is a little more acceptable in, in, that, in that shot, especially in a competition where you're dealing with multiple shots for score. Mm -hmm. You'll want something a little more forgiving, but still forces that type of shot. So gotcha. resistance activated, then hitch. Okay. Good information. This has been, I, I mean, to me, extremely interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I, some of our listeners will be like enthralled and others will be like, I don't know. What the heck were they talking about? <laughs> but <laughs> well, but it, 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 this is great for us. Yeah. And if I may, I just did the same thing. I did a podcast with the ATA with a group called We Are Hunter. Uh, out of Kansas, I believe we are, but uh, we talked about target panic because I helped one of their shooters, Jared. I helped him through the same concept of target panic and reprogramming. Uh, back in 2015, I wrote an article for Bow and Arrow Hunting Magazine. Uh, specifically, the original name of the article was Target Panic uh, Cause, Effect, and Cure, but through the editing process, it turned into seven easy steps to cure target panic. Uh, I have a PDF of this, so if any of you, any of your listeners want a copy of this PDF, just go to the Carter website and use the contact email and request that article and I'll send it to you for free. I own it. It's my article and I can send it to you. It's got all this information that we just spoke about plus more. And I recommend if you don't have target panic, do not read this article. Yeah. Um, I've never <laughs> had target panic and I believe, uh, I don't believe target panic exists. I think it's the same as the Sasquatch. It's just a myth and it does not exist. So for me, I would never read something about some fantastical creature that doesn't exist. It's better to not believe. Yes. Unfortunately, it is very real. I wouldn't know. I've never seen it. So, hey, well, on that, Evan, do you have anything else before we wrap up here? 
No, no, I love Car- having this conversation. Forrest is great having you on and and Carter again. releases. They're great. Thank yep. you, Forrest. Yep, whether well, my it's pleasure. Hinge button or index trigger. Take your time. Learn the right philosophy and the right principles behind the execution of that shot. Make you such a more consistent and a better overall archer and a more successful hunter. Yes, For more information, go to www.carterenterprises.com. All right. There you go. Thank you, Forrest, for your time. Really appreciate it. See you guys. Thank you, guys. My pleasure.